Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, and I'm so excited to talk to a good friend of the show, Lori Ferguson Wilbert, about her new book, A Curious Faith. I'm also joined by the one and only unique my friend, Chelsea Conway. It's me. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Feeling yeah. good? I'm feeling good today. Yeah. Okay. Are you I'm excited? I'm excited for this. I, yes. I've been a fan since um, the last time we had her on and talked about Handle with Care. Yes. And then I went and picked up that book and I read it in a weekend and I loved it. Shameless plug for her previous book, Handle with I'll Care. I'll link to that book in the show notes. Link in the show notes. <laughs> okay. Well, let's dive in. Lori, tell us a little bit about yourself. I we kind of do the thing where sometimes we try to give the like, you know, Wikipedia entry about our guests, but we always find it way more interesting when they tell us about what they think is important about their own bio. So, just want to give mm. you the chance to do that. I love that. I think the most important thing about me is that I am learning what it means to work from love, really. Mm. Like from being loved mm. uh, instead of working for approval or really anything else. Uh, that's the most important thing about me. Um, I write books. You just mentioned two of them. <laughs> I think. Good job in the first like two minutes. And a blog. And I do. I do write a blog. Yeah. Um, yeah, I write. I just switched over from sayable.net, where all my archives are, to lauriewilbert.com, where I've been writing more recently. Uh, I live in upstate New York with my husband and our dog, and we spend as much time outside yep. as we can. That sounds like an amazing life, and now we're jealous. So yep. Okay, you should not be jealous because I, I only gave you the glitter. Part, so. <laughs> well, uh, I do want to jump in. I mean, I think there's something there. What you just said is learning to live from love, and while... Uh, I'm not trying to make a tenuous connection. I actually felt that coming through in your new book, Curious Faith. Mm -hmm. The questions you answered mm -hmm. are asked, excuse me, and sought to answer in the book, uh, I think lead us down that path. It mm -hmm. leads us on a journey of discovering what it looks like to live in a whole new way. Um, and so I want to just dive into it. What what brought you to write this book? What What was the impetus for writing it? I mean, I think there was a lot, a lot goes into a, a writer kind of stumbling on an mm. idea, right? Mm -hmm. So there's 10 different directions I can go. But <laughs> in that vein of like what it means to live in the locus of God's love, I think that, I think that for a long time, I asked questions of other people or I practiced curiosity about other people because I was desperate to not be seen myself, mm. desperate to not be vulnerable and to keep the attention off of myself. Um and on others. And I did that because I was desperate for love, right? Mm -hmm. I was desperate for approval mm. because I didn't know what it meant to be loved by God. Mm. And um, I find that the more I allow myself to be exposed and to be vulnerable to God and to others and even to myself, mm -hmm. the more I realize how loved I am. Mm. And, and that really frees me to love others as well. So that was kind of my heart in the book. It's beautiful. Really beautiful. And I think the way you even 
begin to approach that, I just want to talk about something you say really quickly uh, and just ask for more meaning behind it. But you speak about the idea of living in the questions. Um, what does it look like to live in the curiosity? Uh, what does it look like to do this with God and with others? Like, generally speaking, what does living in the questions mean? Well, I didn't uh, coin that quote. It's from Rilke. It's from a quote from Rilke, yep. uh, the poet. Which I love, by um, the way. Yep. I love Rilke. Um, uh, and he's he's just talking about kind of living into the questions mm-hmm. instead of um, sort of circling around them forever. He's saying you got to walk right through them. Mm. And I think for me, I found that I would circle around questions or I would ask these sort of big questions like, is God good? But Mm. I was afraid to ask the question, is God good to me? Mm. Or what does God's goodness look like in my life? Or or to even admit if goodness in my heart is, uh, if I believe goodness is X, Y, Z and God isn't that or doesn't do that, um, is he not good? Mm. And so... I, re- I think I really, it's really important for us to walk through those questions, to live those questions, to not just um, land on a Sunday school answer because we think that it's right or because we think that we need approval or love or any of those things. Um, the answer is Jesus. And I'll say that in the book and I'll yeah. say that <laughs> on this podcast, the answer is Jesus. But uh, there are a lot of ways to find Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think living the questions is really important. It's mm. really good. Okay. What you just said about living in the questions, what you just said that, that Rilke says about not circling, but walking through them takes courage and, and vulnerability and an honesty. And so I, I, the way I put it is the, the book just as I, as I was reading it, I felt uncovered and then I felt covered uh, as I started to find the answers um, mm. I, I, I felt like the way you asked these questions was monastic in a sense. It felt very um, deep. And yet the questions are so simple in some ways, right? Where The first few chapters of the question is like, where are you? Who are you? Where are you going? But you mine the depths of them. And in a sense, um, you walk right into them, and but you don't do it uh, you don't take it simply at face value. That's what I mean by monastic. You ask it in a deep way. Can you tell me about the journey of asking these questions of yourself? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of commentary Answer before the question. Answer on the spot. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> no pressure. I think that one thing that would be important for me to say here is that I don't have to ask that question of myself. God asks that question that's, of me. That's right. And... I think that's important because um, my posture, if I'm asking myself a question, is going to be totally different if Mm. God's asking a question. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say that God was asking me those questions in scripture. He was, and he was asking Adam and Eve, but Mm. um, for my purposes, Mm -hmm. I am treating it like he's asking me Mm -hmm. that question. Um, I think what it tells me, is that God cares about all the different layers that you have to get through Mm -hmm. to get to the bottom of where I am, for instance. Mm -hmm. So I ask the question, where are you? And I, and I encourage the reader to not tell me where they are in life or Mm -hmm. what they've accomplished or any of those things, but to tell me where they actually are. 
where they're sitting, um, where the room is, where the town is, and then to think about all the qualities of that place Mm -hmm. and to think about all of the ideals of that place and um, to think about all the layers of those things because all of those things really matter to God. And I think if we just sort of try to respond to God's questions or respond to these questions with just the answer we think he wants. Um, we, we really do ourselves a disservice and I've done myself a disservice by not going into the depth of, of those questions. I've left places in my life unhealed far longer than they needed to be because I was unwilling to sort of peel back the layers and look it's it's interesting to me to think about like how I uh, part of how I felt if the listener cares about how I felt while I was reading your book but part, I care they do they do part, we care part of how I felt what I meant by uncovered is like there's a sense in culture today this is a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture so I try to bring that in but uh you know part of what it feels like today is we're so quick maybe it's just me I'll just speak for myself I'm so quick to breeze past the importance of those questions so it's not even a sense of like um, I guess what I'm saying is like, as you encourage the reader to do, if somebody's like, where are you? It's like, I don't have time for the where am I? I've got to get yeah. kids to school. I've got three, 13 things to do today. I've got, uh, you know, this other thing. Oh, I hope I'm being a good dad. I hope yeah. I'm being a good husband. I hope I'm being and all, you know, yeah. all the million things that enter my head. And it's like, no, I think God just cares about where you are right now. He actually placed you in a time and place. Yeah in a seat in a room in Plano, Texas, yeah. you're a limited human being incarnated yeah. in this world, mm-hmm. et cetera. And I, I just, the profoundness of the level of detail at which God cares and loves us yeah. and his sovereign hand over us, just that's yeah. what started to strike me. It was like, on the on the one hand, it's like, man, am I paying attention to the things God cares about? And yeah. that's what those, at least the beginning sections just started to uncover in me. I don't know, Chelsea. Well, and you- there's, there's like a buried truth when you're distracted by all of those things. Like what's really going on in your brain is actually that you are, you think that you have to do those things right. to have purpose or to to be like, God doesn't love me if I'm not a good dad and I'm not showing up for all these meetings and I'm not pastoring the people that I'm supposed to be pastoring. Or for me, if I'm not doing all the production things that I need to do and like a check, the longest checklist ever of things I have to do every week. And if I'm not showing up in that way at my job and at home and for my friends, then I'm just a failure and God Mm. thinks I'm a failure. And that's where it's like the question of, um, that you were saying, God is asking me, who am I and where am I? It's like, yeah, he's asking you because he already knows he wants you to get there. Yeah. He's like, you're catching up with him. And Mm. that's just the beauty of that walk with him, that spiritual walk that we do, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I I think, um, so we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but... You know, you, you say in the book that it's important for God let, to let God ask us these questions, to ask questions of God, and then to ask these questions of each other. Um, we need it, is actually the idea. We need it. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a, a little bit more? We've been kind of getting there, but why is it so important? It's so important, excuse me. Why is it so important to live that way, to live in the questions, I guess? Yeah, I think, so I will say that any thoughts I have on vulnerability, I can um, trace directly back to Andy Crouch's book, Strong and Weak, Um, which I know you guys are Andy Crouch fans too. (laughs) Um, 
he talks, I mean, I, I tell everybody this, go Google Andy Crouch's four quadrants mm. on authority and vulnerability, mm. um, or put them in the show notes, please. Because, <laughs> uh, I, that whole concept just totally blew my world open. Mm. And the idea that wherever we have both authority and vulnerability in our lives, where we can exercise authority and vulnerability, there's human flourishing. Mm-hmm. And whenever we lack one of those or both of those, there's mm-hmm. suffering, there's exploitation, um, there's just destruction in some form. Yeah. And so, but so often in our lives, we just want to be the people either with authority or with an authoritative answer to something. We don't want to be vulnerable with people. Mm-hmm. And but the more that we lead with our authority and not our vulnerability, the more we alienate. Mm-hmm people around us and we alienate ourselves from God Mm. um, because we're unwilling to be truly seen Mm -hmm. and truly like you, you said, Adam uncovered. Mm. Um, And I I tell the story in the book of one of my dearest friends um, a couple of years ago, we've been friends for 10 years. Um, I love her dearly. Many of your listeners probably love her and know her. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and we were sitting on my couch and she said, "Lo." Um, you always ask the questions in our friendship and it makes me feel like I'm the one with all the problems in Mm. our friendship. Mm. And man, my heart was so pierced in that moment because she was hundred percent right because I didn't let myself be fully seen by her. Mm. And Mm. that began a process of realizing, okay, I've got to make space in my friendships for them to ask me questions and for me to be, to allow myself to be seen. Um, and it has changed. It's changed. There is not a, a particle of my life that has remained the same since that practice started taking root in my life. Awesome. Um, it affects everything. Mm-hmm. So I'll never stop talking about the four quadrants. <laughs> that um, I want to. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask this. How do you become curious curious yeah Mm. i think there's something about that right like so you just you kind of talked about it it's like Mm -hmm. you asked questions maybe Mm -hmm. part of that was a defense mechanism maybe Mm -hmm. i don't Mm -hmm. know what's underneath that right um but so there was you had a curiosity about your friend i'm sure it didn't it it wasn't all i mean we have mixed motivations about everything right yeah yeah but then how did you become curious about yourself or let others be curious about you. I guess it's a two-way street. So mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And also it's like learning, it's it's giving space to people to learn how to ask questions. Yeah. Some yeah. people are just not naturally yes. gifted at asking questions. They're what are you not naturally trying to curious. Say? I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Adam, you uh, ask hey, no, great you questions. Great questions. I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. You wrote um, most of these. You ask great questions. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> They're great questions. No, no. Uh, that's yeah, true. Yeah, how though. do we grow? Yeah, some people. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. yeah. So I think what you're asking is how do we grow? Yeah. In, in curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to that, I would say kind of two things. Um, I encourage people to walk into a dark room and not turn the lights on mm. and let their eyes grow accustomed to the dark and see what they can see in the dark. Sometimes we have to. Um, we rush so quickly to turn the light on that we cannot 
walk in the dark. Yep. Um, that we cannot in those moments where we need to prep, we we fumble around. We like are not okay with awkward silences. Mm-hmm. We're not okay with the pause that happens while we're trying to mm-hmm. to think of a question. Yep. Um, and so I think it it becomes learning to be curious is partially learning to be uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. Learning to be um okay with uh not being able to see mm-hmm. everything right away. And I think another practice is to get out in nature and to look to mm-hmm. see. Um because I don't know how you can get out in nature and look at something in an intricate way mm-hmm. and not get curious about it mm-hmm. and then sort of apply those same thoughts to the human in front of you yeah the, the image bearer in front of you how can you not be curious about yeah. the things that are sort of rumbling around inside of them yeah i think it's like um it's just a really common thing that we are meaning makers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's every culture. I'm like, I grew up in a very Western place, obviously. So I'm just like, maybe that's only Western culture. Maybe other people don't do that. But for us, at least, that is like a huge detriment to this walk that you're talking about, like this ability to pause and mm-hmm. not look for meaning in everything in a in a detrimental way. Like look for meaning in a way yeah. like, hey, maybe there's meaning here that I don't see. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. being willing to say... um, that maybe God's going to show me something in this that I just don't expect and not have assumptions and work diligently to like control everything and Mm. ensure the outcome that you're hoping for in every situation, just allow God to work in things. Like we have a hard time with that in our culture and day and age. Yeah. I think the enlightenment probably did us (laughs) no favors there. Mm. Mm. Speak about that. (laughs) You know, I, I mean, seriously speaking of that, I mean, I think some people could, who haven't read the book, might be saying, okay, a curious faith. We're in the age where, you know, um, mm-hmm. there's information overload. All, all of us are, you know, we love, um, fall stories. We love rise and fall stories, not fall then rise stories. We love deconstructing yeah. everything, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. and so is there a way that curiosity in your mind as you're writing this and you're thinking about a curious faith I have a couple questions to to this end but is there a way that like this thirst for knowledge maybe you said it Mm. Chelsea is like a control maybe that's what's underneath it but is there a way that this thirst for knowledge or even the quick answer um that 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 type of curiosity is dangerous or troubling yeah yeah I think anytime we're trying to control yeah. an outcome mm-hmm. it's dangerous and troubling mm-hmm. um and so if we're prolonging the answers or settling on an answer that's a form of control mm-hmm. right yeah if we won't if we refuse to accept something as an answer it's a form of control um that's fascinating mm-hmm. and so i think that's that's part of it i think that um sometimes we can stay too long in in that space because we um i think we're afraid of what's on the other side yeah Yeah. of the questions like what does it mean if i am i asking these questions and what if god i i i ultimately arrive at a place where i believe god's not real or what if i ultimately arrive at a place where god is real Mm -hmm. and i gotta lay down my life and that's Mm -hmm. actually harder (laughs) yeah like those are really hard things to ask, but I think we have to ask those things and we have to ask whatever questions are going to get in our way in order to get us 
to either of those two realities. Now, I believe that there's one of one reality mm-hmm. that um, we're going to get to mm-hmm. sooner or later. But I think that some people could come to another reality and and even then there's an act of faith in continuing to ask questions, not knowing what's on the other side. I feel like that's, um, so one of the other things that I, I felt like we all kind of were reading into the book too, was the idea of deconstruction, mm-hmm. which that word, I mean, you know, um, is loaded. And I feel like it's, uh, it's, um, yeah, there's a lot of cultural, um, things around that. There's a lot of, um, questions about you know can you doubt obviously you can people did in the the bible so mm-hmm. um we know that I do as christians regularly and, and yeah. yeah and i don't know a good christian that's not doubting so um yeah. but there is a sense of like um yeah just what is a healthy deconstruction what is it not uh, i remember i was trying to find it a second ago um reading someone that explained like um uh like there's a deconstruction that ends up destroying something and then there's a deconstruction that ends up reconstructing i think might have been how she said it Mm. um and yeah so it's just like yeah how do you tell between those how does a curiosity mindset like help you navigate that kind of season because there's a lot of people navigating that yeah i i really love the way brian zahn talks about um he calls it renovation Mm. instead of deconstruction he finds that to be the most helpful um and he talks about the fact that we all renovate spaces in our lives regularly and we should have a regular practice of renovating our lives we don't typically take a wrecking ball to our houses um, but if we need to replace the stove or Mm -hmm. knock out a kitchen or knock out a wall sometimes we can do that or if we just need to repaint something we can do that too Um, but we don't often take wrecking balls to entire structures um, in life unless they're completely falling apart and I think um, those of us who have grown up in church or who have been in church for a long time, even though we might have some issues with some things that we see in evangelicalism right now, I hope most of us can say we don't need to take a wrecking ball to the gospel. We don't need to take a wrecking mm-hmm. ball to um, doctrine that has lasted for thousands of years yeah. and will last for eternity. Yeah. Um, but does that mean we don't need to renovate a couple of things? Mm-hmm. I think I think we probably do. Mm-hmm. And I think that we there has to be space for that yeah. in the Christian life. That's the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it has to be had. Um yeah, I've I've stopped using the word deconstruction in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that it works for some people, sure. but I want to encourage people to think more about um renovating. That's instead really good. Of I like totally that. deconstruction. I That's Brian's that on, not me. Brian's on, yeah, no. Yeah, but the way you, what I what I noticed was the way you ask questions take us somewhere. They mm. take us somewhere that has more to offer at the end of the question. And yeah. it doesn't always start there. And I think that's helpful, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I think we can start from a place of just genuine curiosity or asking, but... Um, there is something, even the way you talked about renovation, that's a vision. When you renovate, you have a vision for what you're going to do. You know, you need to paint a wall, you paint a wall, you decide well, to sometimes. Color. Sometimes, exactly. Sometimes. Actually, that's a really good point. We just spent the last two years uh, <laughs> gutting and renovating, and I can tell you from experience, <laughs> don't you don't always know. Always know. Nope. You, you, you don't always know where you're headed. Mm-mm. That's a good point. But I, what I would say is, 
maybe you don't always know where you're headed, but you know there is something at the end of yeah. it. Um, in other words, deconstruction, right? Like what's at the end of that could be nothing. Uh, renovation, there's, there's still a structure standing. And mm-hmm. I guess what I want to ask is how do we ask questions to see something? That was the way I was thinking about it earlier, rather than ask questions to just see through everything. You know, if you go back mm-hmm. to the C.S. Lewis quote, he kind of talks about, hey, if you see through everything, you can't see anything. Everything oh, yeah. just yeah. becomes, you know, see through, invisible. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think there is a, a I think part of what might be in vogue these days, although I know that that can be pejorative to talk about it that way, but I think there is almost an immaturity um, and maybe I'm, I'm just getting old and I'm a dinosaur, but I think in some ways I've seen, at least if you are talking about the social media mm-hmm. world, there yeah. can be an immaturity quick to the way answers. we're asking questions. I mean, that, that what you just said, the yeah. quick answer thing, I mean, that's actually what I was thinking about when you said we could actually... There's this beautiful thing you said a minute ago, and we I moved past it, but it was that there's there's this there's a vice on either side, right? And mm-hmm. one could be a quick answer because we can't tolerate the pain of unknowing, of not knowing, yeah. of confusion yeah. or whatever. But the other can be never settling on an answer because you're afraid of the truth. Mm, yeah. And so I'm just uh, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is is there a way? Is there a philosophy of how you ask questions? Is it yeah yeah I don't know. I think something has really shifted for me personally in the past couple of years where I've realized that I, I kind of centered my life around the church or I centered mm-hmm. my life around theology or I centered my life around the Bible even. Mm-hmm. And I have realized that that ultimately, while well-meaning, while in some ways good discipleship, it actually took my eyes off of the one who should be the real center of my faith, mm-hmm. which is Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and so have you guys ever read um, Supper of the Lamb? Uh, you that? should. You should Supper read it if you, I'm if you haven't. It. Supper of the Lamb. It's by uh, Father Capon. Capon, I think you say his last name. Um, he has this whole chapter. It's an entire chapter in the book about peeling an onion. Mm. And um, and I've begun to think about asking questions like that. So if Jesus is at the center of that onion, mm-hmm. um, my questions, my work is to peel mm-hmm. every single layer of that onion mm-hmm. um, to get to Jesus. And um, and that might take a really long time. Yeah. Um, but that's, to me, every single question that's asked in the Bible is pointing to one answer. Mm-hmm. It's always pointing to one answer. It might it might seem like it's pointing to an answer, for instance, like, what have you done? We ate of the tree that you told us not to eat of. Mm. Um, it might seem like there is just an answer about what Adam and Eve did wrong, but ultimately it's pointing toward the king who's coming, who um, is better and perfect and um yeah our savior the need for the savior mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i think all of the questions that we ask are um sort of steps in the way mm-hmm. to get there that, i love that that's so good and I, even if we don't know that jesus is at the center right mm. But there is an inherent hope in the way you ask your questions and i actually really love this in the chapters where you talked about doubt 
Um, mm. you, you ha- there's this quote that I, I literally just read over and over again, and it, the, the quote's this, Our journey of faith is moving through the doubts and putting ourselves in the place where the outcome we desire is possible. And what I wanted to ask you after reading that a few times is, what role does hope mm. play in doubt for you? I mean, I want to say that hope is the, we doubt because our hopes have been disappointed, right? Mm, mm. Mm-hmm. Um, we're human people and the things that we hope for our lives, the things we hope for the world and the church, they just don't always happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We hope them to be. And that's why we doubt. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that, that line you just read is from the chapter um, on the man who is by the pools of Bethesda. Bethesda. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So he's a lame man on the pools by the pools of Bethesda and Jesus comes in and heals him. Um, and what I'm talking about there is that every day that man would drag himself to those pools um, because he had hope mm-hmm. that the waters could heal him. Mm. Even though the waters were, powerless Mm -hmm. to heal him, even though it was just superstition. And I'm talking about how sometimes we have to put ourselves into the places where our hope can be sort of kindled a little bit Mm -hmm. um, in order for us to see Jesus when he comes. Because I think sometimes we take ourselves away from the places where our hope has been disappointed again and again and again, because we were tired Mm -hmm. of being disappointed. And I love that picture because he dragged himself there every single day and Jesus met him there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't believe in a transactional Jesus where we do good things and he gives us good things. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying there is a place in our faith to be putting ourselves in a, in the way of hope mm-hmm. um, in order for our doubts to be answered Mm -hmm. in jesus to find its answer in jesus i that's that's it's so profound because the idea that we have to be willing we have to dare to hope in some ways we have to be willing to hope even in the midst of our doubts as somebody who struggled with mental illness i I, that we've talked about a lot on the show but anxiety and depression one of the things that i've just realized which you know depression is a a seat that welcomes many doubts. And so yeah. um, one of the ways that I've discovered getting through that, um, and it's not easy, I'm not, please don't, you know, hear me say that, but it's just to actually believe that joy is possible. Even if yeah. I'm not experiencing it right now, joy is possible, yeah. right? Yeah. So the doubt is that these promises of God are not for me. The yeah. doubt for me That's usually, it. I mean, I, I, it, it, I'm sure it all depends on, on what your doubts are. But for me, in those moments, it's that God's not really who he says he is, that I, or I'm not actually loved by him or any of those things. And just to yeah. kind of calm those and say, you know, um, I believe that joy at his right hand is possible even in the midst of suffering. Those just those kind of things. And as so as I read about this man who pulls himself to a pool and he hopes against hope that something might be able to change him. It yeah. felt like such a Christian movement. I just feel like that's the movement of the Christian heart is to be able yeah. to find a way to hope even when many of your hopes have been dashed. So I yeah. just thought it was beautiful and profound. So yeah. and I find it's like so um 
like I, I try to put myself in that position and imagine how difficult mm. it must have been for him, not just yes. physically difficult for him to pull himself there every day, not just how emotionally difficult it must have been to feel like no one's putting me in the waters. Yeah. Um, I imagine the self-talk that was happening in his head about, can these waters even heal me? Mm. What am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. Will I ever been healed? Like the, the stuff that was probably going through his head and his body and his heart. Um, like I, I don't view that tr- like in a trite way. I think it's that story is profound, mm-hmm. and has so many profound layers for those of us who find ourselves mm-hmm. in a place where we're, where we're hungry for healing. Mm. It's just so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that story. Made it, um, made it Bethesda. So good. I I keep thinking over and over again. I'm like. Um, for my family and then for a lot of people I know, it's like I learned to be critical before I was curious. Mm. So that concept of, and I, I think you use similar phrasing yeah. in your book is like, yeah, just a, uh, just a basic understanding of how do I shift my mindset from looking at everything critically, like work, friends, all, all the things and, and just going, well, why is that that way before passing judgment? Mm. And I, I just think that that is like a core thing, and I'm I I don't have great answers for it. I just yeah. yeah. I think one a thing for me that has been so transformative in my faith has been the idea of getting curious about my anger mm. or my sadness or mm. my grief. I think especially anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I am not someone who like expresses my anger or like feels intensely my anger a lot. And so when I do feel it, I tend to um, want to just repent really quickly or stuff it down and just pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. And I have found such incredible healing in the willingness to sit with my anger and say, where is this coming from? Mm. What hurt is beneath that anger? What does God want to heal? What is What has felt fractured in me? Um, that my response to this thing is anger. Um, And I think when we can do that with our more, um, like actually get curious, not judge, not be critical, uh, not indulge. I'm not talking about indulging um, our anger. I'm not talking about, you know, petting it and keeping it in our room and (laughs) snuggling up to it at night. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just sitting with it. Like we would sit with a friend and and ask questions about that aspect um, or our lack of hope or our, um, I don't know that this works so well with anxiety. Sometimes I think with anxiety (laughs) that can make it a little bit worse. Um, Mental health issues here (laughs) too. So yeah, but I think there are some some qualities that we just need to sit with for a little mm-hmm. while and yeah. see what God wants. It takes to... a lot of patience too, which it is does. like a hard thing. That's just a really hard. I feel like one of my most common prayers is asking God for patience. You know, because and I think as I, you just basically gave us the discipline for curiosity right there, mm-hmm. and that's how I thought about it. Why even that kind of thing where I said it feels monastic is. There's a discipline to being curious. There mm, truly yeah. is, and you you paint that picture so well in the book. Um, 
it's it's not quick. It's not again. It's not the quick answer. It's mm-hmm. not lazy. It doesn't sort of sit back and just refuse to find an answer. There is a discipline of that slowdown that you just talked about, and to really um, ask questions to try to get to the bottom of something. Um, yeah. That's what I mean by being on a path. You're the way that you paint the Christian life is truly a, 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 a life that's on a journey, but that journey is leading to Christ-likeness and union and communion with Him. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think it's so compelling. I think living in the questions the way that you describe, Lori, is so compelling because what is true and what you say in the book is at the end, where I really believe you will, if you ask the questions, you'll find Jesus. And man, um, as we even said about you know peeling the onion back and finding Him and it's it's like when we find him at the end of these questions, we find joy, we find vulnerability, we find depth, we find uh, a pain that transforms. You know, we find all these really wonderful things, um, and and that's not to say that there can't be negative emotion, emotions associated with it or whatever. It's just that you find these really wonderful things, and so um, if if I'm indebted to anything, uh, or if I'm indebted to you in any way as it relates to a curious faith, it's that that you helped mm-hmm. me see Jesus and find him at the end of the questions I was asking. And so I'm super thankful to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, it's evident that the same was true for you during mm-hmm. this journey. So thank it you. was. Yeah. It really was. Um, yeah, those last few chapters mm-hmm. on just the resurrection mm. and the the silence of God mm. at the very end. Like those chapters really, yeah, I mentioned that I've been on this journey where I'm coming to see that I've really built my life around, you know, well-meaning, but I've built my life around the wrong things. And um, yeah, just coming to see Jesus and his sufficiency, his goodness, his love, um, the hope that he is, not just the hope he offers, but the hope that he is yes. in himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Beautiful. Thank you, Lori. It was yeah. really great. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode was produced by Chris Stirrett, Chelsea Conway, and Mandy Page. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can message us on social and you can check the show notes for more information on all the books we said you need to read, on the best ways to connect with us, and connect with our guests. See you next time.